You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. William does a deep dive in this episode to the journey of recovery and the power of community in that recovery. The we is so vital. And we also look at triggers for family members' recovery. Let's get back to William. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. of isolation. Isolation and the antidote to it is community. I mean, that's why the first word of the first step of the 12 steps is so powerful. We, but even if it's not a we program for you, if if you're recovering in another way, whether it's through yoga, groups, or through church, or through book club, or through running club, stick together because there's great strength in community, however you define community. And part of that strength is in learning from other people what they have had to go through or how they have mastered that letting go while still loving, you know, staying connected while setting boundaries because nobody can do it by themselves very well. And nobody does it perfectly. And I also think it it speaks to the fact that when I'm alone in my head, that has so much power over what I do feel, think experience. And if I let people in, in that running club or in that we room or wherever it is and shed light on the crazy in my head, amazing how much less power it holds over me. Like if I'm worried about my kid and my brain, my monkey chatter as I use, is going, oh my God, got to call her, got to find her, look on Snap, where is she, is she okay, is she okay? It it gets so painful to live in that place versus if I pick up the phone and call someone and say, you know what, I realize I want to search for them because I want to feel better, not because I have any reason to think they're not okay. Yeah, yeah. Then I can breathe and then I can let it go. I, I do want to ask you this because I find this a, t- a topic tough for family members. Yeah. And as you've had both experiences, I think you could be helpful on this. We have very clear awareness of triggers for people with substance use disorder that kick off the disease in the brain and create the craving thoughts, the using thoughts. Triggers are just as prevalent on the family side to kick off the fear, the worry, which leads us into fix, manage, control. Are you willing to share any triggers you're aware of that push you and that voice and that fear that you then are needing to pick up your recovery tools so you don't act on them as a loved one? Yeah, that's that's an excellent, insightful question. And I, I wish I had an equally excellent, insightful answer to it. Um, it. It reminds me that it is progress, not perfection. You know, I got to think about how to say this carefully, um, but I observe actions. I wouldn't even say they're behaviors. They're more actions in the people that I love that oftentimes alert me to the fact that maybe something's going on or that things are not the way I want them to be. Um, For them. Yeah. And I've had that recently with a family member. Um a close family member, as close as that family member can be, 
where I've had to have a talk with that person. And I think, I think more than anything, when I get that trigger of wariness or suspicion or sneaking around kind of thinking that come, leads to the sneaking around kind of behavior, um, I think the best way for me to defang it or to um, dilute it is to just go to that person that I'm suspicious of in terms of their actions and talk to them about it. I oftentimes that, that that sort of levels the playing field. I've discovered just in the last couple of weeks, actually, with a loved one, that when I do that, um, it also invites a healthy conversation between a, two adults in a way that um, is as beneficial for that person as it is for me. Um, again, it goes back to keeping the line of communication open. Um, so I just feel like. I need to disgorge it in a responsible way and in a healthy way and to that person so that that trigger that I have doesn't lead me to those kinds of unhealthy behaviors any more than if I acknowledge my craving for a substance, then oftentimes what I discover is that it no longer me. If I keep it in, well, it, it, it taunts me or it leads me to do other things. So I think the same is true with a loved one. It's best to just approach that person, talk to them about it um, and say, Hey, you know what? I've been thinking I'm worried about you. That's sort of the best phrase there is in terms of opening the door without being accusatory, which is to say, you know, loved one, I'm worried about you. Is there anything I can do to help? I think the more powerful piece is not just that I'm worried about you. The next piece, is there anything you need from me? Can I support you in any way? Not an accusatory, it's I'm available. I also think what that speaks to is leading with vulnerability. Yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's one of the things I least like to do, but yet it's what I want them to do when I want them to show me or share with me, right? So hello, let's get less hypocritical and do the same work. And my thing is, hey, I'm triggered. My squirrely yeah. brain is going nuts and I feel like yeah. a lunatic. And I'm not going to accuse you of anything. I just want to check in and see how you are. Yeah. And because what, because the, oftentimes that inviting without it being accusatory opens the door and doesn't push away that person standing on the other side of it. Whereas if you come at them with, I think you are pointing your finger at them or raising your voice, it doesn't do any good. Uh, that experience I've had recently has led to some important conversations which haven't resolved my concern, but which have eased the pressure point um, towards getting to some resolution. That's wonderful. And mm. it takes a risk, right? It takes a huge risk. It's, I think the person on the other side thinks family doesn't feel any sense of fear or risk in approaching them in any way. But that is a very daunting thing to do because the fear is, and the monkey story is, well, if I say or do the wrong thing, it's all going to go south. Mm -hmm. That's why, Margaret, it's so important, I have learned, to be authentic in my own recovery. And that means not wearing an S on my chest for super, but means wearing a V on my chest for vulnerable or an H on my chest for human. Because if the people that I love and want to be well can see that their father or their spouse or their colleague is still a flawed, vulnerable, imperfect human being, then we're all the same. Yeah. And 
that's why I've often cautioned people, particularly my own family members. Some people say, gosh, Wim, I want to be just like you. I want to work in this field and help people. I say, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> you don't know half of who I am until you know who I am. Right. And the half you see is not is not the, the whole. Um, and I've said that to my own children. Uh, you know, uh, my daughter is getting her match. She's at Columbia in New York, getting her master's in social work. And um, originally she went to, because she was inspired by me. Well, I'm glad she was inspired, but, but she also knows all of my flaws and I've got them, believe me. And I've got my flaws in recovery, which are in some ways are more painful than when I had my flaws in under the influence because when I was under the influence I didn't know them I was you know I was denying them whereas today I'm pretty open about it I had to I had to tell my children something years ago during very very difficult times when I was going down as a sober person to hit bottom again I had to tell my children something that was as hard as a parent can imagine and I did it at our little lake place up in Wisconsin where we have a cabin we've always had. It's been a special place for us. Long story short, um, I had to admit to my children something about me that, well, uh, it was hard to do, but looking back on it now, I was proud to do it because it gave them permission to be imperfect too. Not that I want them to follow in my footsteps that way, but it was important. See, I never had that growing up. My parents, I always saw them as being super, super duper. Mm-hmm. And they were super duper in a lot of us, but they were still parents. They were still human. They were still flawed. We just didn't talk about it like I've talked about it with my own kids. And it gives them permission to talk about their own humanness. And that is a gift. To be that way. Yeah. And to be flawed and to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I've made more mistakes since Broken came out than before it came out. And, and that's part of why I want to write about it. Because this journey that we're on, when we started this conversation an hour ago, was around, you know, the book. And the book was good. But the book, and, and it does have a happy ending. But then there's the rest of the story. And stuff happens. And it's that stuff that happens through codependency, through substances, through life on life's terms that make life so rich and so worth talking about. So triggers, family triggers, you bet. They can derail us so fast and instantly kick off our monkey chatter. If you don't know anything about monkey chatter, check out my podcast, episode 15, which is a deep dive into monkey chatter. You can find it on my website or on any podcast streaming channel. If you are acutely aware of your monkey chatter and finding that it's giving you a hard time, head to my website and go to my Work With Margaret page. Sign up for a complimentary discovery call with me. I am here to support and co-create healthier tools to manage your monkey chatter with you. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. Speaking from what I gained from Broken and being able to refer it as a resource for so many, there is a hunger for the next chapter. We would value that from just our conversation today, William, and and your willingness to share vulnerably here it would give people permission to continue to evolve in their recovery and not have to have that perfect fairy tale ending be the ending, but recognize that life on life's terms is messy. 
but manageable if we have care. And worth it. Yeah. And worth it. You know, uh, and and that's why I've got to get the book done. I actually think the, it can be as important, if not more so, it can be as important as Broken was. I, I just have to be respectful of sort of the other people who are part of the story. Of course. Because it is a flawed story. It is a story of pe- of other people as much as it's a story about me. In the same way that my parents were so formative and broken because of their own letters and so on, I still have to be respectful of them. Um, and I need to do the same with people in my life today. But but that's why I, when you invited me to be on your podcast, I jumped right at the opportunity, not only because it's an important podcast, but because it allows me to to further articulate the story that I still need to tell. And and so one of the great benefits of of sharing with you today and being with you, Margaret, is that it it, it sort of fired me up. Good. And get this book done. Good. I'm glad because I think. You know my passion point is for anyone impacted by this illness, but especially family. And so anything that can come out that can offer family self-forgiveness, a chance to know they're not alone, a chance to know that if William can struggle in recovery with his experiences and his knowledge base and his just his history— then why couldn't I? And that isn't it okay to go deeper, find a therapist, get to a meeting, do something a little bit more for me. Yeah. Amen. Mm. Well, I am so thankful. I really am. It's pleasure. I mean, I've peripherally known you now for many, many years. I've admired your work and I've appreciated so much about you and your passion for helping and doing so much service for so many but to get a chance to hear you share your story is quite a privilege so i thank you and i know my audience is going to be very grateful to hear what you shared and get that book done william get it done and thank you for giving me the opportunity and you know and and i've admired you mostly from afar because we haven't had a chance to be together a lot but i know the good work that you've got done um and i'm i'm glad that you're still doing it and i'm glad you're doing it through this vehicle because i've learned that when we give it away we get it back and and i know there are people who will hear this and find that hope or that reason to pick up the phone or reach out to the internet to get that help that's the key there is hope and and help is possible no matter where you are in your journey so i'm gonna ask for a favor yeah. When you release that book, you better be coming back. I promise you, I, I will come to you first or second. Oh, please. If ABC calls you, go to them first, but come <laughs> see me second or third. I'm keeping a tally of all the people who stuck with me over all these years and given me opportunities like you've given me today, and I'm going to pay it back, you believe me. I do believe you. I want to encourage you to purchase Broken by William Cope Moyers. It offers powerful insight to how this no-fault family disease does not discriminate. William, we eagerly await your next book and all it will offer us with our ongoing recoveries. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.